Well, this morning I'm just going to ask a simple question. Do you like to be told no? We'll check it out and see. Pastor, are we going to be out by noon today? No. How do you like that? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't like to be told no. I like to be told yes. Absolutely. We'd love to. But to hear no. No, I'm sorry. We can't help you. No, our calendar's all filled up. No, you're not allowed to do that. No, we're closed. No, we don't make parts for that anymore. Whatever it is, I don't like to hear no. Especially when making a request. I don't know about you, but this tends to bleed over in my prayer life as well. I make a request and I want to hear yes. Absolutely. A few years ago, Elizabeth was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. My technology this morning decided to say no. So Elizabeth was diagnosed, and uh, we weren't really sure what rheumatoid arthritis was all about, other than the fact that she was having some significant stiffness in her hands and her joints and and various things. And, uh, And so... Do a little bit of a process, we came to figure out exactly what it was that was going on. So, I don't want to dwell on this story too much because I know all of you have your own issues and you have your own prayer requests and so on. We made this a matter of prayer, we prayed about it, we felt led to have an anointing for Elizabeth, we did that. But still, the answer by and large was no. And there was some medical things that we're doing, and she has to get a, a painful shot every week, and she doesn't like that, even though. It's better than the alternative. And so that's what we do. But in that situation, we prayed. We put it out there. Lord, please heal her. You know, when she still has James and other little kids and she can't open a jar some days, that's a problem, right? And so we prayed and the response virtually was no. We wanted her to be healed of this thing and be able to put it behind her. uh, But it was no. And so we're dealing with some of those kinds of things. Other, and we, we don't really know why God answers in, in certain cases a certain way with a yes or absolutely and other times with a no. But other times we are given some kind of an indication, maybe not at that moment, but as time passes. Have you had one of those situations? I'm also thinking of this summer when we were looking for a house and we were feverishly looking through all the different homes and where they were and plotting them on maps. And, and we found a lot of really nice things for just the two of us. But we're no longer just the two of us. And so we thought we found a place. It was the distance from every place was good. The, the space in the house was actually more than we really needed. But we thought, hey, this will be great. And so we put in an offer and we prayed about it. Of course, we've been praying this whole time. And we put in an offer, Lord, if you want us to have this house. You know what the answer was? You already heard this story? Did I tell it before? <laughs> it was no. It's a pretty loud no, because somebody offered the exact same amount as we did, except they had cash. We don't have cash. The bank told us no. (laughs) And so we thought, okay. And that was, I remember Elizabeth, you know, I was kind of, oh, man, I was just so ready to be done, right? And Elizabeth said, well, that's not the house the Lord wants us to be in. God said no, and so we're just going to keep looking. 
And that's exactly what we did. We thought about that house several times since then, and we thought, we're so glad we're in this house and not in that house. We like the, the flow of this house so much better in the neighborhood and so many other things. Does God know what he's doing? He does. Is it always apparent at the time? It's not. Do sometimes we get glimpses as to why later? Sometimes. Do we always? No, we don't. But the fact remains, God is always in control. And that's why this is one of our favorite verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He knows best. And he asks us to trust him. We've been going through a series on Paul, a man of grace and grit. And today we're looking at uh, when God says no. I want to ask you that same question. What do you do? When God tells you no, how do you respond? Well, if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me in Acts chapter 15. We're going to pick up our story in a place where we left off before. It's been a little while. We've had a few various things here, and that's just fine, as it should be. But we left off. Uh, we talked about how the house, house church was used and so on. We kind of squeezed that piece in here too. But then we are also talking about the very end of chapter 15, how there was this split, if you will, between Paul and Barnabas. And so picking up where we left off in Acts chapter 15, verse 40, it says, Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches. And then he came to Derby and Lystra. And so if we go and turn to a map here, Antioch is where he started up here in the bottom right or, or middle right. And of course, he went through Tarsus, maybe visiting some of the places when he spent five, maybe as much as 10 years there in Tarsus. We don't have much record of that, but maybe he popped in there. And then he went to Derby. And then the next stop here is, is Lystra. Here we have our little hiker. Um, and he had to cross the Tarsus mountain range. If we were to go back, that would be just kind of to the left there of Tarsus. And so he'd have to cross through this type of countryside. This isn't exactly what I imagine when I think of the Holy Land, but these beautiful mountains and, and through the rugged passes, hiking, having different clothing that you might have to put on from time to time, the elements, the weather. And then when you cross over into Derby, it looks maybe a little more pastoral. Maybe not year-round it doesn't look this green, but it is in this picture. And then in Lystra is like this. And so in this story, he finds himself here in Lystra now. And we need to finish. Uh, well, you see Lystra there on the map. And you may recall it was in Lystra where Paul had been dragged out of the, out of the city and stoned. Does anybody remember that? So he was dragged out of the city. He was stoned. And you remember, he got back up and went back in the city before he left. And here Paul is revisiting this place. Do you think there was a little anxiety when he came back into this place? Perhaps, but perhaps not. I mean, Paul was, was fearless, it seemed. And that's one of the reasons that we talk about Paul as having grit. And so he's back here in Lystra. And continuing the rest of verse 1 in chapter 16, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Here enters Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman 
who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren, and who were all by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And so here you have the more seasoned Paul. He comes in contact with this youth, this young adult named Timothy. And who is this Timothy that just pops on the scene, you may ask? Well, if we flip over to Acts of the Apostles, it gives us a little bit more insight. It says, the faith of his mother and his grandmother in the sacred oracles was to him a constant reminder of the blessing in doing God's will. Here behind Timothy, we have a faithful mother and a faithful grandmother. And I think we could probably say behind all faithful men is a faithful mother and a faithful grandmother. Continuing, it says, the word of God was the rule by which these two godly women had guided Timothy. Can you imagine going over the stories, going over the scriptures that they had, teaching and building the character of this young man? It says, the spiritual power of the lessons that he had received from them kept him pure in speech and unsullied by evil influences with which he was surrounded. Thus his home instructors had cooperated with God in preparing him to bear burdens. What was it preparing him for? Yeah, to bear burdens. And what kind? I imagine in part the burdens of everyday life, but also the burdens and challenges of ministry. But don't forget how he was prepared. The home instruction through the study of God's word through a faithful mother and grandmother, cooperating with God. And so young Timothy is being prepared for ministry. And so for you, mother or grandmother, there's a lot of grandmothers that are raising their grandkids, and you think, what am I doing? You're doing one of the most important works there is to do. You are training and shaping the character of a life. And let me just say, it's a lot easier to do just about anything else. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kids are cute and they can be a lot of fun. But when it comes to training them and and shaping their character, that's not always fun. That can be hard work. That can be exhausting. That can be tedious. That can be monotonous. Day after day, if I've told you once... Deep breath. It's a high calling. So if there's a mother or grandmother that's discouraged, don't be discouraged. It's a high work. And we also find there in in Acts of the Apostles, page 202, here Paul again met Timothy who had witnessed his sufferings at the close of his first visit to Lystra. And we'd already mentioned what happened in his first visit, right? There we have a picture of Paul out on the ground. Everyone thinks he's dead because they have stoned him and they've stopped throwing rocks because we've done the deed. And here, I imagine, is young Timothy taking all of this in as a young man, yet it makes a deep impression on him. In fact, it does the opposite of what we would expect. We would think that if he sees this is how the church treats people that preach the word of God, I don't want to have anything to do with it. But that's not his response. Rather, he feels a calling on his heart 
Look at this next passage here. The impression then made had deepened with the passing of time until he was convinced that it was his duty to give himself fully to the work of ministry. And I just love this picture because it's a picture of a young adult that is capable that has energy, that has gifts, that has talents, that's studying God's word, that feels the call of God and is responding based on that nurturing, that training, that equipping of the mother and the grandmother, seeing how Paul was treated, studying and and digging into the, the scriptures. Is this really, I mean, he was willing to die for this. Is this true? Is this not true? And to finish the quote, his heart was knit with the heart of Paul, and he longed to share the apostles' labors by assisting as the way might open. I imagine a simple little prayer, young man, saying, Lord, I feel called to ministry. I feel called to be part of this work. I don't know how to get into it. I don't know what I need to do, what this looks like. But if you open the way, can you imagine that young man praying that prayer? If you open the way, I'd be more than happy to serve you in this capacity at a young age, feels convicted, doesn't know how, where, or when, but then enters, in verse 3, Paul into Lystra. Probably had no idea that he was coming. There were no banners, no advertisements, but here he comes, and in verse 3, it says, Paul wanted to have him, Timothy, go on with him. He liked Timothy. Somehow, they connected very quickly. You know, there's certain people you just meet, and it seems like you have instant rapport, Seems like you've known them all your life when you just met them. But somehow, Timothy and Paul connect, which is a little bit unusual in the fact that Paul is is seasoned. He's older. Timothy is much younger. It's almost a father-son relationship. But they are very quickly knit together. And Paul says, I want him to be my right-hand man. I want him to come with us, Silas. In Timothy, Paul saw one who appreciated the sacredness of the work of a minister. of a minister who was not appalled at the prospect of suffering and persecution and was willing to be taught. He says, I can use this young man. I mean, wouldn't most of you rather have somebody that was teachable come alongside that was also gifted and talented and you can teach them the things you need to teach them rather than the know-it-all who thinks he knows everything already and doesn't need anything from you? We find in scripture hints of this relationship. Romans 16, 21, it says, Timothy, my fellow worker, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. I have sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Philippians 2, 2. But you know he's his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Do you see that close connection? Later in Philippians 2, 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He was like-minded with Paul. Paul was like-minded with Timothy. And it made all the difference. That's one thing I very much appreciate about Pastor Hyman. I was praying, Lord, send us somebody that is like-minded. And we've been blessed. 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, he says, To Timothy, a true son in the faith. This is one of two letters addressed to Timothy. Beyond that, Paul listed Timothy as a co-sender in six other letters. And you've seen those greetings in various places like Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon. And so here we have these three setting out together. But let's read the last part of verse 3. And it says, And he, Paul, took him and circumcised him, this is Timothy, because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father 
was Greek. Now, what's that all about? I thought we settled this issue of circumcision once and for all in Acts chapter 15. Well, here Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him. Why? Well, first of all, verse 3 tells us because of the Jews that were in that region, as well as the fact that his father was Greek. So what is this all about? What, how do we make sense of this? Well, first of all, it was settled in Acts 15 that Gentiles did not need to be circumcised. However, Jews were never asked to abandon their Jewishness or abandon circumcision as a mark of membership as God's covenant people. And according to rabbinic law, a child born to a Jewish mother and a Greek or Gentile father was considered Jewish. So Timothy would have been considered a Jew, yet his father being Greek would not have had him circumcised. But if Timothy was going to follow Paul into the synagogues as a Jew, we could have some major trouble. And so rather than be a stumbling block, rather than this be a point of contention, he says, we're just going to deal with this right now. We're going to get this out of the way. You remember the verse in 1 Corinthians 19, 20, and to the Jews, I became a Jew. Why? That I might win Jews. We don't need to let this smallish, insignificant thing that will be huge in their mind, derail the whole thing. And so we're just going to put this to rest. And so we continue on, verse 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Sounds good, right? Continuing verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to preach the word in Asia. After that, they came to Messiah, Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so here they're trying to do the work of ministry. Here they're trying to visit these other places, but the Holy Spirit says no, right? He says no to Phrygia. He says no to Galatia. He says no to Messiah. He says no to Bithynia. No, 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 no. Four in a row. Four doors, if you will, slammed in their face. You calculate what they probably traveled. We don't fully know, but we're probably thinking about somewhere between three and 400 miles. They're walking through the countryside, up and down hills and all the rest. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm even taking an afternoon hike, and this is silly because the point is to be on a hike, but if I take the wrong turn down the wrong path for like a mile or two, and then I discover it and have to come back, I'm grumpy. I don't like to go someplace that's wrong, that's not the destination, and and especially to get to the other side and then to be told, no, I came all this way on foot. It was uphill both ways, and you're going to tell me no. But we don't get a hint in here in Scripture anywhere that they're put out, that they're discouraged, that they're starting to pack their bags and chuck it all in. And this could have gone on for six months as they traveled from place to place. But God continued to say through the Holy Spirit, no. Not here. What do you mean not here? We have a message. Not here. Okay. And so they continue hiking. Yes, sometimes God says no. I mean, let's stop and think about this, though. If we truly believe that God knows what is best, wouldn't that mean that he'd have to say no from time to time? Isn't it possible that there's a way better that we cannot see or understand? I mean, if the God of the universe says no, if your entire purpose is to be in the middle of God's will then we don't need to stress about the no. It's truly just that simple, isn't it? 
We need to be more concerned about being in God's will, not that the answer is, especially if it's one we don't like. We just say, okay, if that's what you want, if you don't want me here, if you don't want me there, I'm just going to keep looking for the Holy Spirit to guide me. I still don't have any indication where you want me to go, but I'm going to keep trying. Maybe I'll have a fifth, sixth, seventh. No, I don't know. But we get the sense that Paul is at peace. I want you to turn, keep your finger there, and turn with me to John chapter 16. Because I want you to see this in your own Bible. John chapter 16, you've read this before. John chapter 16, verse 21 and 22. And it says, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because of her hour, because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish, praise the Lord, for joy that a human being has been born into this world. Y'all know what this is talking about, many of you. Now, I don't fully know, but I have been in that headlock four different times. There is a period and a time where this is not pleasant. It's exciting, but it's trying. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes you wonder, is this child ever going to come? But then when you hold that little life, when they put that naked screaming baby on your chest and you get to see them for the first time, you're the one that did this to me. Nope. You kiss that baby, you probably cry. Oh, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's my boy. <laughs> or girl, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it could be a chimpanzee and you'd be, oh, this is beautiful. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Sounds like that verse, in this life you will have trouble, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Doesn't it? There will be times and periods that you will question and you will wonder, but be of good cheer. Your joy no one will take from you. There will be a time when your heart will rejoice, when you won't remember the sorrow anymore. And then skipping over to verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you have, may have peace. Where do we find peace? In him. In the world you will have trouble. There it is. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Shouldn't that be a guiding beacon in every trial that we face? Yes, we're going to have heartache. We're going to have pain. We're going to have trials. But Jesus says, just hang in there. There are times I'll have to tell you, no, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Just hang in there. I like this other verse from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you believe that? The problem is our society likes to sing it wrong. The joy of all my stuff is my strength. Is that how it goes? The joy of my job is my strength. No, that's not how it goes either. The joy of my 401k. No, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't work. It's the joy of the Lord is your strength. And regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what's happened to your stuff or your things or your employment or your relationships, the joy of the Lord can still be your strength, can it? Because the promise here in John still holds true. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will be able to take from you. I remember when James started showing signs of abnormalities and we gathered together on our front lawn with uh, both of our parents and many of the elders came. We had special prayer of anointing for James for healing. You recognize that picture, James? He says, hey, and it was a beautiful sunny day. We were out there in the front lawn in the grass and we were all praying and Elizabeth and I took turns praying and crying and praying. And even at that time, we saw something in James when he prized all of us and he took a Kleenex box 
and he pulled out some Kleenex, and while Elizabeth is praying, or somebody, I don't remember who was praying, and she's crying, he starts dabbing her cheeks with the Kleenex. Now, we were praying for James's healing. He hasn't been healed yet. The Lord will heal him someday. We just don't know when. He still has his challenges, but God didn't say yes to that prayer. He said no. But we have since seen how God has used James in very marked ways. He has an uncanny way of, of finding individuals that are in pain or hurting or, or just discouraged or whatever it is, and he'll connect with them, and the eye contact, he'll just lock in. Have you seen that? He'll lock in and dial in on somebody, and he'll smile or he'll wave. We call it flirting. Uh-huh. And we've seen him do this over and over again. We'll have people over to the house, and the one that might be feeling the most insecure or the most down and out, that's who James will oftentimes gravitate towards. And how do you say no to a little special needs kid with a walker like this that wants to talk to you and wants you to hold him? You can't say no to that. And we saw it just uh, a few weeks ago. We had a a service for a family member that passed away. And one of the family members that has walked away from the Adventist church, and because of that, they feel estranged and different things, even though we've continued to try and pray for for this person and visit this person and and include them as much as possible, but they just feel like they're not part of things anymore, and that hurts us. Well, James, for whatever reason, and this person is not your cuddly type person. No offense to this person, they're just not that way. It's a male, kind of matter of fact, does his own thing. And James, for whatever reason, singled this person out. Just a few weeks ago, dialed him in and said, up, up, and wanted to be in his arms all the time. It was his new buddy. And Elizabeth and I were awestruck. We thought, here the Lord is using this little angel with Alexander disease to touch hearts. And this person said, this whole process, and I don't think it was just James, but he says, this whole process, I feel like I'm connected and reunited with the family again like I never have before. Praise the Lord. Can God use little tiny Alexander kid babies? Why not? Can he use them in ways he couldn't if he didn't have the disease? He can. And we've seen it happen time and again. There's another story I want to share with you. It's a little bit dramatic. It doesn't have to be a dramatic thing to trust the Lord. It can be a small thing. If it matters to you, it matters to the master. Don't you, don't you agree? This is the Knudsen family. I first met TJ, the father, in Palau. We went scuba diving together while I was a student missionary. Very nice man, nice family. And now they have this beautiful family. But tragedy truck on July 28, if you're on Facebook, you might be aware. When Marianne, his wife, was running into town with the kids... And while driving down the road, a tire blew. She lost control of the van. The car went off the road, rolled multiple times. And they were in a very rural part of Northern California, quite a ways outside of Redding, on this deserted road. Yet somebody was on the scene, like within moments, almost instantly. They called 911. Another providence was that the helicopter was already in the air, having just dropped somebody off. And so the helicopter was there very quickly. But when the paramedics arrived, Whitney, this middle girl here on the left, she notified the paramedics by saying, my older sister Sierra is dead and mommy can't breathe. And they didn't know then, but Marianne had suffered from a C6 cervical fracture that has caused her to be paralyzed and her lungs as a result were shutting down. And another interesting part of this story is that TJ was the doctor on call in the ER that day. And he got word that people were coming in from this accident that happened on Bitmore Road. And they traveled Bitmore Road. It's kind of out there in in the middle of nowhere quite a bit. And so he inquired what the vehicle was like. And sure enough, the vehicle matched. It was his vehicle. And all that he knew 
was that one of the, the children had died. He didn't know which one. And that his wife was seriously or in very serious condition. And so initially he was the doctor that treated her and, and so on. And miraculously, she has survived. She had been paralyzed or is paralyzed from the neck down. But actually some of that paralysis has subsided over time as certain swelling. And so she has very limited use of her limbs. She can't really use her fingers, but she can use her wrists. So she can hug people. She couldn't talk, actually, for like almost a month. She got to where she could mouth certain things, but nothing as far as speech. But after about a week, she was so sedated, but after about a week, she was conscious enough that they were going to tell her that her daughter, the oldest, Sierra in this picture, had died in this accident. And so she processed that. She weeped, she mourned, and all these kinds of things went through all of that with TJ. Difficult thing, I, would, I can imagine, to tell your wife this news. And then to find out later that she was so sedated, she didn't remember any of it. She mourned it, but she didn't remember it. So a week later, they had to break the news to her yet again that her daughter had been killed. And sometime later, as she was able to mouth a close friend that I just spoke to this morning to make sure I had these details correct, she was saying various things through just her lips, and she was lip reading, and so I said, how do you do that? And she says, well, it's actually not too hard, and, and I said, so is it a kind of a process of guessing, and she can nod her head, and she says, yeah. And one of the things that she mouthed was, wherever you tell my story, tell people that God is good. In fact, throughout this whole thing, this couple has continued to hold on with tenacity to the promises of God. I think there's three different Facebook, I don't know, threads, themes, whatever you call these things, where you can follow the progress and you can find videos of her. In fact, here is a video. I couldn't figure out exactly how to make the video play, but she's smiling and she's so excited to tell all these Facebook audience of thousands of people, literally, that are following this, I'm so excited because now I can talk. Praise the Lord. Isn't he so good? Here she is in this wheelchair. She still doesn't have balance, so she has to be strapped in so she doesn't fall over. But she's learning now how with her wrist to control the wheelchair a little bit. She's able to talk. And she's so thankful and filled with joy. And the person I talked to this morning, they said, you know, you would think to go see her would be a very depressing thing. They said, but it's not. It's really quite inspiring. You leave there feeling uplifted. And I think, Wow. And here there's another video. I don't have this video playing, but here's TJ reading passages from God's Word and from the spirit of prophecy that were meaningful to them at that time. And through countless uh, things on Facebook and social media, through this funeral that they had for their daughter where TJ invited all of his colleagues, God has used this tragedy for good. And I would imagine as soon as she got, was brought in, or as soon as TJ even learned, I imagine he was praying fervently, wouldn't you? I would be. And I imagine many of the prayers that he prayed, the answer was no. Yet ironically, I just heard this last week, that many of their family members on both sides have made decisions to walk with the Lord again, or renewed their commitment with the Lord or decided to come back to church. And they're just praising the Lord for that. They said, we prayed fervently for some of these family members, and now they're coming back. Who would have thought it would take something like this to bring them back? 
And so we think that the no is always a bad thing. But if we trust the Lord and are surrendered to his plan, he will always use our circumstances for his glory and ultimately for our good. We need to wrap up this sermon. Going back to this story here, picking it up in verse 9, it says, we're in Acts chapter 16, I'm still in John. Acts chapter 16, verse 9, and here's where it came together for Paul and for Silas and for Timothy. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Notice the we. That means that Luke is now included in this group just kind of inserts himself there. We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's why he said no, because he has another place for us to go. Maybe that's why this happened, because God's going to use it for his glory. Maybe it's because of this, or maybe it's because of that. And maybe in the whole scheme of things, after Jesus comes, maybe we'll get to say, I didn't think, you know, we wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And so verse 11, therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course uh, to Somothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went into the synagogue. Is that what it says? No, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Why was it outside the city? If you had at least 10 Jewish men, you'd have a synagogue. Philippi doesn't ha- isn't big enough. Well, it is big enough, but there's not enough Jewish population there. There's not enough believers there to have a synagogue. This is a secular place. And so Paul and his group says, where would people be? Where might they be praying? Well, probably down by the river where they can wash and do their ceremonial cleansing and all those types of things. And so they go, and sure enough, and we sat down and spoke to the women who we met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. In case you forgot, who's in charge of this this work? I mean, the, the whole thing? God is. We stress when we try and take it on. We stress when we think we're in control, but God's in control. He says, no, don't go there. No, don't go here. No, don't do this. No, don't do that. Slam, 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 slam. And I can either get offended or I can say, okay, where do you want me to go? I'll tell you tomorrow. Okay. Here's a vision. Go to Macedonia. Go to Philippi. Okay. There's a woman there. She's down by the river. Okay. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Praise the Lord. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. I don't know where I am in these slides. There they are down by the river. There they are at the women's house. Friends, sometimes God says no to something. So he can say yes to something else. Sometimes God says no to something so we can say yes to something else. Sometimes it's the challenges, the seemingly unanswered prayers in the no's of life 
at times. But those are the very things that are the catalysts for other prayers to be answered with yes. For the six months or more that Paul was wandering around, the Holy Spirit kept closing doors. He could have gotten discouraged. He could have gone home. He could have given up, but he didn't. He kept pressing on in faith that God had a plan. And the same could be said about TJ and Marianne. There's much that they could focus on and become discouraged, but they countlessly over and over and over recount the blessings of God, the miracles of God, what God has done. And so, yes, Marianne is still paralyzed, probably always will be. And we could say, well, God said no. And she has three small children. The family is rallying together. But as a direct result, I think there'll be souls in the kingdom. And in the whole scheme of things, it's not about the white picket fence. It's not about the house. It's not about the furniture. It's not about the cars. It's not about the vacations. It's not about the pictures you get to post. It's about walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. And if he says no, okay. And if he says yes, great. But if I'm surrendered, if I'm longing to walk in the center of God's will, I'll be fine either way. I like this verse in Hebrews 12, 11. Thank you, David, for reading it for us. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It may not just be for people out there. It may be for me. To train me, to mold my character, to keep me dependent. And regardless of who it's for, if it's according to God's plan, I don't know about you, but I'm fine with it. And on days I'm not, I pray he will change my thinking. Lord, this seems stressful, but I give it to you. This seems overwhelming, but it's yours. I don't understand, but you do. And so we place our lives in his hands. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you long to lead us by your hand. That whatever comes to us is according to your will and your plan for our lives. And so I pray, regardless of the answers to our requests, and especially when it's no, help us to be okay. Help us to claim your promises. Help us to realize this world is not it. We're just passing through. But someday soon, we will forget the pain, the heartache, the trials. And in fact, we might even be thankful for them because they are what produced in us a character that brought us through to the end. Not as we trust in ourselves, but as we have learned through every trial to trust in our best friend, Jesus. Help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.